hello. Your QL fandom uncle and auntie are here with giant sunglasses, brown liquor in a flask, a folded $5 bill to slip into your hand when nobody's looking, lukewarm takes, occasional rides on the discourse, deep dives into artistry and industry, and most importantly, simping. Lots of simping. I'm Ben. I'm Nini. And this is The Conversation. About once a season, we plan to swan in and shoot the shit on faves, flops, and trends that we've been noticing in the BL, GL, or QL industry. Between seasons, you can find us typing way too many words on Tumblr. We're back in our spring lanyap. Nini and I will look back on the winter season as a whole. We'll talk about some stuff we missed. Talk a little bit about what we're watching now and what we plan to be watching over the next season. As we're getting into this, Nini, we decided to highlight some of the commentary we got from folks over the last couple of months. We've been really excited about how many of you are actually listening to us. And we got some really interesting commentary from Jenny Moonbeam offering us some interesting perspective in response to War of Why. And we wanted to share that with you. Jenny Moonbeam writes, I'm midway through the best in show, which was episode three of our winter season. And I wanted to add some thoughts on War of Why, which was a show that really fascinated me, even though I didn't enjoy most of it. Nini mentions feeling like the show hates BL, and I can see where you get that, but my feeling is that it's not hatred so much as anger and working out a lot of difficult feelings and experiences through the drama itself. Coming as it did at a time where Thai BL has been around long enough to have a history, but is still working on figuring out what it's going to be, it felt like a very pointed internal conversation. There was one interview where one producer talks about how nearly all the stories are things he's seen and experienced, sometimes as victim and sometimes as a perpetrator, for lack of better words. I was moved to write, especially because you said it was odd that so many BL directors and other creatives appeared on the show. To me, it felt like the whole show was the industry doing some collective trauma processing which is both why so many insiders got involved and also why from the outside it felt pretty uncomfortable and messy to watch. There's tons more to say about the placement of fandom and the way the show views and engages with fans, both in the in-show fan behavior and in the fan service it sets up for us, the actual viewers. I think it's doing something more complicated and interesting than just making fun of us for what we like, but it certainly does point the camera back out at us with the same ambivalence and sometimes anger it holds for the insiders. I do also think there's love there for BL and for its creators and fans, but the anger comes out so strong that it's harder to see. Anyway, I could talk about the show for an age and also could compare it to the much shorter but equally angry moments of BL introspection in the eclipse. Ooh, Ginny Moonbeam sent us another ask about that. I'm really interested in hearing about that. It was not fun for the most part, and I'm not sure it succeeded in what it was trying to do, but I keep coming back to it in my mind nonetheless. 
Thank you so much for your comment, Jenny Moonbeam. Ben, do you have anything that you want to say about this? I want to thank Jenny Moonbeam for sending us this, because what I enjoy the most about being in fandom is the dialogue. I was talking with Nini about some takes I didn't agree with on the show before we started here, but it's the fact that everyone is sharing what they are feeling about the shows that makes the experience of watching live along with everyone else, part of the enjoyment. I really like that our discussion inspired someone else to share their thoughts about this and offer us some interesting perspective. I see exactly what Jenny Moonbeam's going for here, and I think that is an effective way to look at it. One of the things we've talked about is how non-important the Western viewing audience seems to be. I do think that's something to recognize when we're discussing who is War of Why talking to. They might just be focused on the domestic and Southeast Asian international viewing audience. Those of us in the West may not be the primary people that they want involved in this conversation. And it's something that maybe we should take a half step back on and just listen about. You and I had discussed this surrounding the eclipse as well. And it's interesting that that is the second story that Jenny Moonbeam brings up in her comment when we were discussing the uniform protests and how important they were to the eclipse because they were important to the Thai audience because of the real life protests that were going on. I take Jenny Moonbeam's point and thank you, Jenny Moonbeam, for your comment. And please keep sending those in. We love hearing from you guys. We love when you join the conversation. Please keep sending us your comments, your questions, your ideas. We love to hear from you. So we're just going to jump in on what is always our favorite conversation around here. We're not doing like a whole awards season for each section of the show we make. But we are going to give out a Girl You Tried award. In preparation for this, Nini selected our three nominees for this. The three nominees for this season's Girl You Tried are Never Let Me Go, Between Us, and All of KBL. I can't pick a show. It's All of KBL. We want to remember the purpose of the Girl You Tried Award. The Girl You Tried Award is really for the things that we see the potential in. Like we saw something in it that was interesting or important and we feel like the execution to bring out the thing just wasn't there. Girl You Tried is not a panning award. We're not panning these shows. We're just saying we wish that this had gotten to the heights that it wanted to get to. So I got to be honest, right away, it is not going to Between Us. No, I think Between Us is just bad. I might have been willing to give Between Us a Girl You Tried Award because it's a show that is never going to live up to the hype of three years of people anticipating the win team show. I would have been nicer to this show for all of its problems if they hadn't weirdly modified the most iconic scene that really made the couple. That, for me, is truly unforgivable. I will not be acknowledging that as something worthwhile with the Girl You Tried Award. 
Tell him why you mad, son. I was mad before we started. I'm still feeling it a little bit. <laughs> that leaves us with Never Let Me Go and KBL. I don't know if it made it into any of the episodes, but I've had like changing feelings with the new employee as we've moved away from it. Like, I felt a lot nicer to it when it completed, but the further we get from it, the less I feel positively about it. And I feel like a lot about that show is a little undercooked because of its runtime. And that's probably the common theme of KBL this season. It's a little undercooked and or doesn't use its time well. I don't think Individual Circumstances uses its time well. I don't think the director who buys me dinner matches its production budget to its aspirations very well. And I think the new employee is the most forgettable of the three Watcha shows we've been given. I like it as part of the collection of shows from Watcha, but as an individual show, it hurts me a little bit. I have to agree with that feeling of uh, things being undercooked or not matching the expectations with reality, essentially. But my biggest problem with KBL this last season was that none of it is staying with me. I don't feel the emotional heft of any of it. None of it sticks with me. None of the characters stick with me. None of the events stick with me. I finish watching a KBL and I forget it almost immediately. It doesn't burrow into me. And that's not about the runtime. That's not about the show having aspirations higher than its budget. That's not about any of those things. I don't know exactly what it is, but I'm not I'm not feeling the magic coming out of KBL recently. I'm simply not. It's feeling assembly line. That's what it feels like to me. It's feeling like they're knocking these out. She said KBL entered as pulp era and she hates it. God, is that really what's happening? That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense actually, Ben. It is sort of the refinement of the pulps. And I understand the whole point of pulps is that you go through a ton of them until you find the right formula. And then you take that formula and elevate it and suddenly you no longer have a pulp. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe I need to be kinder to KBL. Maybe it's just going through its pulp era and pulps generally are not for me. I'm really glad you finally arrived at that conclusion. Shut up, man. (laughs) I'm so glad that you can finally appreciate shows on the terms in which they are delivered to us. Yes. Okay. Yes. I feel like I want to do that. Generally, I try to do that. I do not always succeed. So yes, read me. Okay. I accept being read. I tease Nini sometimes about being a little bit harsh on some of the shows, particularly when we come off of other bangers that are happening right around them. But she's not wrong. I don't think the shows from Winter have a lot of staying power. You really have me sitting in my feelings here right now. It's not that I don't like pulps, but I think they still have to have a something. And I feel like this is a lot of the... I'm not going to call any names because these are some of people's beloved shows. So I'm not going to call any titles out. Call them out. Call them out. This is the conversation. I want to hear it. I feel like it's kind of the My Engineers, the Two Moons is, that's where these are landing for me. 
maybe they're entertaining, maybe they're not, but they're ultimately forgettable, at least for me. I'm not here to yuck anybody's yum. If you like it, I love it. I have a confession to make for the listeners of the conversation. Oh, God. I have not watched My Engineer. I definitely haven't watched it. I think I already admitted this, though. <laughs> no, you haven't. Getting ourselves back to the Thai portion of this. Oh, we're running into Thai stuff. We're going to make that bridge between the Thai pulps and the other nominee for the Girl You Tried Award, Never Let Me Go. I wish so hard this wasn't in this category, and maybe that means it wins. I don't know. We'll see. This was almost good. You could see it like a nip hair, a tuck there, and we wouldn't be having this particular conversation about it. There's so much that's good in this show. So many great ideas. So much good cinematography. There is good acting in here. But somehow, like Ben said when we were talking about it in its own episode, the whole is somehow less than the sum of its parts. That for me is why it's probably going to be my winner for this award. It's not that the show isn't good. It's just not great. The primary frustration I feel about Never Let Me Go is I wanted JoJo to go three for three this season. And that's where my primary angst is. I just think that this show is just good. I don't think it's great. We we see how it could have been great, and it just isn't. And that's where the primary angst is. Whereas with the other shows, I was really genuinely irritated with them the whole time. And I didn't have a lot of hope for a lot of them as I was watching them. Like, as I was watching Between Us from the beginning, I'm like, oh, man, this is a mess. And with the KBL, I was like, I really hope this turns around. Oh, it didn't. The disappointment is the primary emotion that I feel when I think about Never Let Me Go. Because I see the heights. There were bits where it transcended everything else that was going on inside of it. And then sometimes it just got mired in the problems that the show was having. Because of those heights, because you could see what it was shooting for, what it was aiming for, and sometimes it reached it. I think for me, it wins the Girl You Tried Award for this season. I concur. Jojo, we love you. We love you, Jojo. Please don't misunderstand us. We love you. We appreciate the experiment. We want you to keep experimenting in this direction. I will fight anybody for Jojo. I don't want him to stop here. I want him to continue to refine what a Jojo BL looks like, what a Jojo romance looks like. I want him to keep working at it because I think that if he keeps at this, he will land on something that really resonates because he's good. I don't want him to stop here. I think I'm with you. Jojo admitted on Soon Vajarn that this whole endeavor was super difficult for him because this is not his wheelhouse, and he pushed himself on this. Even though it isn't our favorite thing he's made, I really liked Jojo's flair in this. Ben! What did I make you watch this winter? All right, so let's talk about this section. So Nini and I both convinced the other to watch a show that we skipped or were hesitant for, and the results were not great for either of us. I convinced Nini to watch My Tooth, Your Love. 
and Nini convinced me to watch Gayoke Bangkok. And the results were mixed. They were mixed because I think we both agree watching these shows recommended by each other that they are objectively good. And we also understand why each of us really enjoyed and liked those shows and wanted to recommend them to each other. But we also each didn't really vibe with the shows that we were recommended for different reasons and reasons that make complete sense to the people that we are. So Ben, I want you to start. I want you to talk about GOK Bangkok, what it's about, why you think I recommended it to you, and what is it that didn't curl all the way over for you? Gay OK Bangkok is a show that we should not discuss in relation to BL. We should discuss Gay OK Bangkok in relation to the adult queer dramas of the early aughts, such as Queer as Folk, Looking, L Word, Noah's Ark. You wanted me to watch it because you wanted me to see what early Alf and Jojo looked like, especially when they were working together. And I think that comes through very clearly because they are working with not the top tier actors they get to work with now. This is absolutely no shade against the actors they had, but this is early in their career and it's mostly their friends who are working with them. Alf and Jojo get to work with some very experienced actors who have a lot of talent supporting them now. Alf and Jojo pull really strong, really grounded performances out of these people. Gayoke Bangkok is very good. But like with things like Queer as Folk, Noah's Ark, Looking, etc., it's a little hard for me sometimes to stare at. It's almost too familiar for me. And I'm really the person who gets a little bit squicked out by things being too gay. But in particular, I struggled with the Palm character. I think he's like 32, and he's kind of settled into his work, kind of repressed by the fact that he feels unwanted and also pursues relationships with people who aren't going to like him either. Man, I see a lot of myself in that character, and it was super uncomfortable to have that lens turned on me. And then their friends are a little frustrating because you've got the guy who's with a much younger guy. Something about their relationship just really rubs me the wrong way. But it's a very common experience in queer life, this kind of age gap, the way it's presented. That's the thing about Gay OK Bangkok for me. It felt more soap-like than the sort of romance or dramas I enjoy, where there's like a couple of themes to unpack. This is very much a gay life drama. And that's not bad, but it wasn't the most fun viewing experience for me because I felt so bad for so many of the characters. And I'm like, oh man, I can't fix you. I get it, but I can't help you. I definitely understand that. I can see what you're saying about it being a little too much like real without that barrier between you and the story. It's not like I was watching a story. I'm like, oh, fuck, I know these people. (laughs) I'm going to see these people on Thursday. (laughs) Well, Ben recommended that I watch My Tooth, Your Love. So I did. And I did not like it. 
My Tooth Your Love is about Bai Lang, who is a chef and restaurateur. He owns his own little cafe. He's kind of an immature guy. Bai Lang is in his early 30s. It's just him and his sister. His parents are dead, and that's the, the source of a lot of major trauma because he feels responsible for that. I guess arrested development is kind of the term. One of the ways that that manifests is that he's terrified of going to the dentist. His sister is a doctor. He has a major toothache. He refuses to go to the dentist. His sister drags him to one of her school juniors, who is a dentist, and tells him, look, just take care of him. And threatens her brother, like, you're going to get that tooth fixed. This guy's going to fix it for you. And I don't want to hear anything else about it. The dentist's name is Jinjinan. Jinjinan is somebody who has been disappointed in love, somebody who likes routines and likes having things done a certain way. He's an excellent dentist. He runs his own practice. He enjoys what he does, but he's not very expressive. Let's see. Bailan gets dragged to Janan. And they start this little dance where Janan obviously likes Bailang. He realizes that he likes Bailang. Both of these characters know that they like men, so this is not a self-discovery story. They get to know each other. Janan starts taking care of Bailang in certain ways. Bailang starts taking care of Janan in certain ways. It's a lovely story in the way that they circle each other until they start getting involved. Bai Lang then starts to pull back because he's freaking out. He basically doesn't want to take anything too seriously. It's because he believes that other people's love and regard for him is what gets them killed because his parents were rushing home in the rain and that's when they got killed in a car crash. So... When things start to get serious with Shanan, Bailang pulls back. There is a scene that Ben loves that when I watched it, I understood why he loved it. And I kind of loved it too. A lot of the time, when you get into this kind of story where one person is pulling back, they have the big romantic moment where they're like, what am I doing? And they go and they run to the other person and be like, no, I want to be with you, whatever. Then it turns into this whole romantic thing. Everything is hand-waved away. That doesn't happen in this show. When Bailang runs back to Janan, like, I want to be with you, Janan gets angry. <laughs> and he deserves to get angry. Bailang is sort of playing with his feelings. He's like, you can't just decide that you want me and then decide that you don't want me and then decide that you want me. That's not how it works. I don't like this. Bailang actually has to commit to being with Janan and commit to pursuing Janan. I do like that. But then what happens to the story after they actually get together is where it loses me. Janan wants to be with Bailang in a committed relationship, which means that he wants Bailang to be part of his family, which means that he has to go back to his family and tell them that he wants to be committed to this man. And then it becomes this weird thing where he goes to his family every day or every week or something, and his dad beats him, and he doesn't tell Bailang that any of this is happening, and he starts pulling away from Bailang because he doesn't want Bailang to see that he's being abused. 
I don't understand what's happening at the end of this. Once the two of them that get together, it feels like it doesn't know what to do. So you haven't watched a lot of the Taiwan stuff the past year, but this actually was something that kind of plagued us for all of last year. Almost every single drama out of Taiwan had a huge conflict about whether or not the parents could accept this as their final arc. This played out in Plus and Minus, My Tooth, Your Love, a little bit of DNA Says I Love You, About Youth has this as well. So there's a big thing about the parents. This comes up in a lot of the Taiwan dramas. We're not going to get away from it. I don't necessarily enjoy that, but I understand that this specific expression of filial piety is extremely important to them. It's clear that for the domestic viewership that they're accounting for, the relationship is not secure until they get resolution with the parents. I get it's a cultural thing, not for me. The problem with it that I have is what it does to the story. It just feels like the story comes to a dead stop and then it goes off in a completely different direction from where it's been before. That's the part of it that I really didn't like. For most of the runtime of the show, I was enjoying it. I was enjoying the development of the relationship between Bailang and Shanan. I was enjoying how the story had Bailang work through his trauma. I was enjoying the comfortable, lived-in attraction between the two of them. One of the things that I love about Taiwan is that you're more likely to get stories about queer men who know they're queer, are comfortable with their queerness, and are moving from that point, which I do like. It's not that I disliked My Tooth Your Love. It's just, it's kind of a game of, I guess, halves for me. The front part of the drama is a lot more interesting to me than what was happening in the back part. It feels like in the back part, it went off the rails from a story perspective. But I understand what you're saying about that being the cultural direction of these particular stories. So in the end, I guess it just wasn't for me. And that's fine. I'm glad you at least humored me on watching it. Because you at least got to see the one of episode eight. That's like, it's like 342. It's really impressive technically from the camera crew and the actors. Because they have to cross traffic at least twice during it. It's a really great long take shot. I do have to say from a filmmaking perspective, that is impressive. I don't think that scene works with cuts because you can't leave a fight like that. When you're in a fight with someone, you don't get to pause and edit it in the most efficient way possible. You don't remember a fight that way. You remember the intensity, the inescapability of it. The fact that they're moving around really contributes to the feeling of it. And there's like three different now kiss moments during that. Like in any other BL, they would have kissed and that would have somehow fixed the problem. But here it doesn't. You can't just kiss these problems away because we're grown ass men. I do like that. Janan gets to be pissed about this. He gets to say, you don't get to dick me around like this. You have to decide what you're doing. And just because you decide what you're doing doesn't mean that I'm going to agree with you. 
I'm not going to just fall into your arms because you finally decided to commit. What do you have for me? I like that. So that's the big thing from Ketchup is we appreciated the suggestion, even if it wasn't exactly to our taste. Speaking of things that might not be exactly to our taste and the ketchup, Ben and I, we have made a pact that the thing that we're going to watch over the spring and talk to you guys about in the summer, <sighs> y'all, we're finally going to watch The Shipper. We're finally going to oh watch my God. The Shipper. Ben and I have avoided The Shipper because we both have problems to say the least with body swap stories we do not like them visceral reactions (laughs) to body swap stories and shipping stories we do not like them we do not like them sam i am (laughs) what we do like however we like first canapan we like umpawat and we like fluke pusit so we are going to bite the bullet and watch the shipper And to keep us accountable and honest about it, we have decided to watch it together. So it's going to be in both our catch-up corners next season. So, yeah, look out for that. (laughs) I can't believe we're going to do this. I'll explain a little bit. We decided to go back to this because, one, we saw a super cut of all of (laughs) first is during the thing and that was too insane for us not to go back and see where that came from because first committed to a bit 28 times and he gets the playoff of ohm and i don't think we're ever going to see first and ohm chemistry again also we've come to appreciate fluke who sit a lot in the last year particularly from the last season's worth of stuff we wanted to go back and see what he was like in that show because I think there's value there. I'm also aware thematically of the way the show challenged its audience about shipping behavior. And I really want to see what that looks like from GMM TV because the show was apparently relatively popular. Jenny is also there and I want to see her. Pricking. I'm excited to see her total performance because she's pretty solid. So we want to give the shipper an honest shake. There are some interesting ideas there. That I really want to play with. And it feels BL adjacent. There's a lot of interesting work going on with the female characters in it. That I want to see explored. Even if I have some thoughts about some things that I am worried are going to happen. Well, guess you all will get them in the summer when we do the next series. We're going to gird our loins. We're going to watch it. We're going to try not to over-discuss it while we're watching it so that we come to you fresh in the summer. You're going to get some complex reactions from us because we are going to watch together. So it's going to be hilarious. Before we move on to what we're currently engaging with, let's take one last look back, Nini. We've talked about some things we really love this season, like My School President, Moonlight Chicken, Ote Kushikari 2, The Warp Effect. Of these shows, now that we're a month or two away from some of them completing, what are some of the things that are sticking with you that you're still reflecting on and thinking about now that we're out of the initial hype? Hmm. I'm stuck 
in Jim and Lee Ming's relationship for Moonlight Chicken. I'm drowning in there. I can't get over it. I can't get past it. I live there now. The things that stick with me about the shows from the winter, the things that stick with me about shows in general, especially romances, I love a romance. A romance will always pull me in, but what keeps me going is things adjacent to the romance. So if it's a pair of romantic partners, their friendship or the way that they take care of each other or their history or whatever it is will pull me in even more than the romance. When you look at the shows that I love, and it's no secret the shows that I love, I love I Told Sunset About You and I Promise You the Moon. I love Moonlight Chicken, obviously. (laughs) I love My School President. I love certain parts of Love by Chance, Bad Buddy. The thing that draws me into these shows is the relationships, not just the romance of the relationships, but the depth of the relationships themselves. That's what I really respond to. So I get stuck in these things. So for my school president, I get stuck in how Tin takes care of Gun and Gun appreciates Tin and they have this positive reinforcement spiral that keeps them both lifted. I get stuck into Pudgeny and Tin's relationship. I get stuck into Chinchilla. I get stuck into Kajoran coming out of that closet to punch a teacher in the face for somebody he don't even like. That's the stuff that I get stuck into. So the things that sit with me, that resonate with me, that keep me going, that keep me connected to stories long after they're over is the depths of the relationships that those stories tell me about. So in terms of what's sticking with me, My School President is sticking with me. Moonlight Chicken is sticking with me. Utsukushikare 2 is hella sticking with me. The End of the World with You is sticking with me as well. What about you, Ben? What's sticking with you? Like you, Jim and Lee Ming's relationship is sticking with me. I think for me, there's always going to be something very specifically beautiful and queer about these shows. That's why I'm going to remember them forever. Like when we were talking about Too Cutie, Too Pie, and we talked about the Sin and Newer scene, it connected me back all the way to Quattro Luna's because of the way that their first bed scene reminded me of my favorite first time scene. That's the kind of things that I am going to remember, particularly if it calls back to other pieces of queer cinema. So like, there's a lot of things that in in my school president, they're going to linger with me. Like the first one that I think stood out to me was in episode four. It was the, you got my back song lyrics being revealed to us. This whole notion that this is a song that has been passed down from one generation of boys to the next. It's a song that says, no matter what's going on, I got you. It's so special. When it comes to Moonlight Chicken, what I think makes me so relieved is that other people are saying that Jim and Lee Ming's relationship stands out to them. I think it's incredibly important and really special that people are not focusing on Jim and Wen's relationship or Hart and Lee Ming as the most important thing 
that came out of Moonlight Chicken. It's the relationship between a gay man and his gay nephew. That's the real emotional core of so much of that. Despite the fact that like his relationship with Wynn is the undergirding tension of the drama. It's really his ability to properly reconcile and rebuild his relationship with his nephew. That's probably the most important thing that's plaguing Jim in this whole story. And I really love that a lot of people picked up on that. Sometimes I feel really separate from fandom because intergenerational queer solidarity and connection is so important to me. I'm going to remember Utsukushikari 2 because it was the first sequel in a long, long time that made it worth coming back to a couple and has me still excited to come back to them. I'm just so invested in Kiyoi and Hira right now. And I'm going to remember that particular feeling. I'm going to remember how much constant payoff we got for sticking with it. Like so much of the little four episodes we got is grounded on fully understanding their previous dynamic and how there are worrisome signs that they haven't really pushed past that. Like, I love that. Like they had sex at the end of the first show, but Dick isn't magical. It doesn't fix you. And I love seeing actors get better in the same characters. Kiyoe's perspective matters a lot more in this season than it did in the first one. And I like that Yagi improved. It's kind of fun to see actors return to characters after spending some time away from it and meditating on them and experiencing other things and then returning to them again and bringing something new to the table. Finally, the way Flipusit and Thor Tenepan play gay so specifically in the warp effect I completely understand Joe all the time. Perfectly get Army all the time, whether it's in the past or the present. I'm so locked in on their performances. They do such a phenomenal job playing characters that felt genuinely queer to me and grounded in a real lived queer experience. I'm going to be constantly thinking about that, I think, for months to come. I'm also going to be thinking about the fact that I liked everyone in this show so much and how complicated the show was while still being completely legible and relatively easy to follow. It wasn't a blink and you miss it show, but you did feel like you wanted to pay attention. And I just deeply loved everyone's performances. I remember everyone so strongly I'm going to remember how much Fa just demolished every scene she was in. She is so good. She makes every actor she's working with feel important in the scene they're in with her. And that's such an incredible talent. And I don't think you can teach that to people. There are not very many actors and actresses that have that. It's one of the things that makes Viola Davis very special. I think Fa has that quality. I'm going to remember the fact that Nui playing a people-pleasing supporter is actually something he's actually he's really good at. He does a great job in this show. And I did not really enjoy his performances prior to this show. I just feel so fond of the warp effect in a real genuine way. It's such an easy recommend for me. 
There's no caveats to the warp effect. It's just so fun to watch. The end of the world with you will be sticking with me as the first time Japan delivered on the fact that these boys can and will fuck. And they did a great job with it. I will not forget. They put their whole pussy in that show. <laughs> Has Mame ever shown hip? I think not. <laughs> the biggest takeaway for me from this season is how much payoff we're getting from cultivating talent, giving shows a little more time to develop and gestate, and trusting the actors to be good. So Ben, what are you going to be watching over the spring that we might be talking about over the summer? As usual, I have no memory of what's about to come out. I just receive the shows as they come out. As of recording, I am watching A Boss and a Babe, A Shoulder to Cry On, Jacko Frost, Midnight Museum, Our Dating Sim, The Promise, Unidentified Mysterious Girlfriend, Unintentional Love Story, All the Liquors, and Bed Friend. It's been a difficult come down from the winter season. I am trying to reconcile the emotional high I was on with so many incredible shows airing at the same time and how there's just no way you could follow that. But things that are worth talking about. I am extremely invested in Bed Friend. We were not expecting Bed Friend to be as compelling as it was. And I am obsessed with Matt and James right now. They are doing some really great work in that show. Like midway through it, Nini and I have some technical worries about the show. And we're hoping that that isn't going to be the defining characteristic when we come to the end of this. But I'm extremely invested in Bed Friend. I'm also feeling a boss and a babe. I was a little bit nervous about New Suwaj working with GMMTV this time because I didn't really have a great experience with the Star and Sky project. But there are some really interesting age gap office romance. I've been through some shit stuff happening in A Boss and a Babe that I'm really, really keen on right now. I'm going to say this now. Our dating sim is going to be an end of the year vibe award discussion show as of episode six airing as of this recording. I completely passed on Chains of Heart. It feels like a glorified PowerPoint presentation for some really spectacular cinematography. And that's about it. I have no patience for pulps. I dropped Passenger and Tintem Jai. I'm sorry. We came off a great season of TV. I have no patience for pulps. I am not that bored. So like Ben mentioned, we are watching Bed Friend and really enjoying it. I had not planned to watch Bed Friend. I did not intend to watch Bed Friend. I am on record on this podcast saying that I would not be watching Bed Friend. What am I watching? Bed Friend. She was like, I'm not feeling Bed Friend at all. She not only watched it, she watched it before me and our good friend Kyra and was like blowing up our chat, being like, y'all need to get in here with me. 
It's like that scene from The Matrix. We're like sitting in the kitchen eating our little soup. And then she kicks open the door. Morpheus is fighting Neo. And then we're like jumping over the tables to see what's happening in this dramatic ass show with these trauma boys who are going to fuck their problems up. I love the show. We're going to talk about it more in the summer, I think, because it's uh, halfway through at this point. I was wrong. Bed friend is good. Well, so far, bed friend is interesting. Let me leave it there. <laughs> Best friend is compelling. We'll reflect on the end of it by the time we come back to you all. The next thing that I am watching and really enjoying is A Boss and a Babe. And this time I get to tell Ben, ha! I am on record on this very podcast as saying that I thought Boss and a Babe was going to have some flavor to it. And so far, caveat being so far, I am correct. I am really enjoying it. I am enjoying Force and Book's chemistry. I am enjoying that the story has morted than meets the eye. I'm really enjoying Book in particular, playing sure. I'm enjoying Thor impressively gaying it up every time he steps on screen. Loving this show so far. Great job. We had a half hour conversation this afternoon about how hot Thor is in this show. He looks like he has both insurance and investments. That's all I'm going to say. If you know, you know. If you know, you're probably over 30. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, what else am I watching? I am watching The Promise. Oh, right. That show. I can't remember how I got into watching The Promise. I think somebody recommended the Poopa and Nanfa prequels, which I watched and then decided I was going to be obsessed with. And I saw that there was going to be a show. I saw that the show was going to be directed by Kom Kankiat, who was one of the directors of Ken Porsche and who played Uncle Tong in Bad Buddy. Kom is a very good director. So I said, huh, let me give it a shot. It's an advertisement drama, like Ingredients. I enjoyed Ingredients, so I figured why not. I'm not going to get into what it's about or anything like that. Tune into us in the summer to find out how that went. But I am finding it compelling. My reaction as of episode three is, it's currently only living up to its name. Fair enough. That's a little shady, but it's how I feel. I'm at episode five, and... The worm has turned. I think when you get here, you're going to want to continue. Let's put it that way. All right. I am also watching Midnight Museum and Unidentified Mysterious Girlfriend, which it's giving me my Goonies feels, my E.T. feels. It's giving me a lot of 80s Spielberg. I'm enjoying it so far. I think it's really well done. Midnight Museum... I'm invested. Sign me up. Neither of these is BL. We're also assuming that these are maybe gay, maybe not. There might be some gay happening. I don't know. They're not BL. I'm just really here for the insane chemistry between Tor and Gunn. The fact that Tor gets to carry around a staff and beat people with it. That 
everyone at GMMTV apparently gets a one episode bit role where they get to just play really messed up and unhinged characters and are clearly having the time of their lives doing it. Like this is clearly a really fun project for everyone that is doing some really fascinating mystery storytelling. And as of the latest episode, which I believe is six as of this recording, they are messing around with Christian religious mythology in a way that I found to be incredibly funny because the West is very fond of mishandling everyone else's cultural myths. So I am so glad to see View and Nanon get to play like really fucked up versions of Adam and Eve. I love Nanon. I love him with my whole entire heart. And when I saw him appear, I screamed. I screamed a scream. <laughs> and then I watched the episode and I continued screaming because he's just so fucking good. I'm sorry. He just is. I don't understand how he does what he does. This is a one episode role. How did he build that character just like that? He's so fucking good. I'm, oh, I hate him. I don't hate him. I love him. It's because Nanon is so sad. He's such a sad boy, and he can tap into that for every character. I don't know where he's reaching into. I worry about him constantly. Me, me too. <laughs> constantly. We talk about that like, a lot. <laughs> is, he, is he eating? Is he sleeping? Maybe he should. They need to put Nanon in a comedy at least once a year, so we keep that boy grounded. <laughs> Listen, once a year, let JoJo put him in a ton of situations. That's all I ask. That's right. Call JoJo Tichicorn. Nanon needs to be in some new situations. We need some enrichment for the boy. <laughs> I'm not watching any of the KBLs until they're done, because one of my things about KBL, for me, for me, is that they always flow better in the movie cut, and most of these KBLs have a movie cut coming up, so I'm going to wait for that. One that is tickling my my funny bone for next season that I'm going to watch is Step by Step. This is one I didn't know that was going to happen this year. Ben brought it to my attention when we were doing the winter season. A Pumpat is in this? Yes. The official trailer came out and I watched it and I'm very intrigued. Very, very intrigued by what I saw. So I will be watching Step by Step. I don't know, Ben, will you be watching it too? Uh, yes. <laughs> I mean, I gotta be honest. The trailer looks fun and it looks like it's going to cover what the new employee wanted to do with the appropriate airtime. Also, Pot is in it and it looks like he's going to get to be a total bitch. So I'm very excited for that. Bring it on. I love Pot. I'm ready to watch him in anything. So Step by Step is a, I believe it's a D-Hop House joint. Yes. I like D-Hop House. They did Lovely Writer. I'm very interested to see what they do with this. I am hoping that before we record for summer, one of the Wish shows will be out. Like Make-A-Wish, Wish You Luck, Wish Me Luck. I'm hoping one of them will be out. I think the one that Fluke Not Touch is in that Nike is also in. It's going to be out by then. Fluke and Nike. That's a combo I never thought I'd hear. I don't think they're romantically paired, but I know that Fluke not touches in it 
as like a supernatural being. And I think Nike Nididon is in it. And I think he may be one of the romantic, part of one of the romantic pairs. You'll tell me how that is. <laughs> I mean, it's on WeTV, so we'll see. You will, t- you will tell me how that is. <laughs> I like... I like Fluke. I like Nike. I think they're both insanely talented people. Somebody tell me how it is. I'm excited because Fluke gets to go back to comedy. And for those of you who have not seen him Diary of Tootsies, you need to. Fluke has comedic timing. And they've just chosen to put him in melancholy-ass dramas for like five years for reasons unknown. But Fluke... (laughs) has comedic timing and is so funny of all the wishes to wish i'm interested in the wishes that have tanam in them so <laughs> wish me luck and wish you luck <laughs> are the ones that i'm looking for is he in to. both of them yes he is we talked about this in the winter what he's lead in <laughs> one and so he's hard. lead in one and, and secondary in another this is also a Tanam Stand podcast. Love him. Please don't let us down. Love. I really hope these shows are good. <laughs> I don't know when they'll be out. I was hoping they would be out in the spring, but I haven't seen any official trailers come out. I haven't seen any air dates come up. Yeah, I, I don't think so. I know that Wish Me Luck, which is the Nafiat one, was in workshops in December. So they might be filming, but it's not GMMTV, so it's harder to find information on what's happening. I doubt we'll be talking about Boy Band the series. We won't be, because we can't see it. Right, and there's a certain level of hostility, I feel, at this point, about the entire distribution of this. I don't know if the airing schedule is going to allow us to talk about Middleman's Love in the summer. Because they extended the runtime for Bed Friend. So we might not be finished Middleman's Love by the time we record for summer. But I am very excited to see Tudor and Yim working again. If they start Middleman's Love right after Bed Friend, it will finish on the 1st of July. So we might be able to squeeze it in. But I don't know if I'm going to watch it, to be honest. I completely get that. I like Jade, but I don't know if I want to see a Jade series. I'm excited for Middleman's Love because during the winter series, you and I unpacked how we engage with side couples. And I feel like Middleman's Love is more in like your vein of engaging with side couples than mine. So I'm actually curious to see them in that regard. Yes, it is more in my vein of engaging with side couples, but for me to engage with a side couple, I have to be interested in them, and I'm not that interested in Jade. Oh, there it is. There it is indeed. I'm simply not. I don't see it. (laughs) I like Jade well enough, but I don't feel like I need to see him do a whole story. I'm not that interested in him. So, T, I saw a post today that was sort of laying out production and airing schedules and uh, fingers crossed it looks like we might get our sky in the spring and maybe be able to talk about it in the summer wait Uh, how how are we getting our sky in the spring 
It looks like it might be set for a May release. Are they planning to follow A Boss and a Babe with it? The scuttlebutt seems to be that A Boss and a Babe is going to be followed by Be My Favorite, which... Okay. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Guess we're getting our Fridays back, baby. (laughs) Sorry. I'm going to watch it just so I can talk about it. But let me tell you all now, I am going in hostile to that show. I'm not going to watch it. I love Fluke Owen. I don't love him that much. So. I'm just I'm just gonna be shady about it. I'm not watching. I am not interested in anything about Be My Favorite. It's not just the actor in particular that I'm not interested. I'm not interested in the story in any way. So it's not happening for me. If Our Sky is gonna be aired the way I think that it's gonna be aired, because it looks like there are gonna be two episodes per story, which I think is going to equate to two episodes a week. I think they're going to take a story and do it two episodes a week. And that week will be the whatever week of our sky. And that story will be over. That makes sense. And that means it likely follows behind midnight museum. I don't know. I feel like if there's a two night slot, because this is going to be on GMM TV. So it's either going to be Monday, Tuesday, or Saturday, Sunday. BL seems to be part of their Friday crowd pleaser type of stuff. Except for Never Let Me Go, so... I think they have two BL days. I think we had talked about this, where they do a drama and a comedy at the same time. So they were doing Never Let Me Go on Tuesdays and my school president on Fridays. Right. Just like they were doing Bad Buddy and Not Me at the same time, Bad Buddy on Fridays and Not Me on Sundays. So I think there are two slots a week for BL, one comedy, one drama slot. The Friday, they usually, I think, save for the comedies. I mean, I'm not mad about getting our sky sooner than I thought. I'm just trying to imagine the, like they described a bottleneck with the GMMTV editing booth. So I'm curious about the logistics of getting all the filming done because it's it's different casts and different directors, but I get the sense that GMMTV kind of shuffles the same crews around. So I'm curious about how they've gotten a lot of this done. I think they've crewed up this year because I think after last year and all the problems that they had with the production schedule, not the production schedules, with the post-production schedules, I think that maybe they've crewed up a little bit on the back end. So hopefully they have more edit suites and have more crews. I know they're working with more cinematographers this year because I've seen some new names in the credits. That's true. This is not a complaint. This is just us speculating. That's exciting, though. That is going to wrap up our Laniap episode. And with that, we are wrapping up our spring series. Guys, I've done the math on all our recordings, our first passes, and Ben and I have spent about 15 hours talking about PL. We're making up for the fact that Nini doesn't talk to me now between seasons, so we can save it all for the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) 
Okay, I'm gonna. I'm just. I'm just still laughing. <laughs> but it's true. <clears throat> Y'all aren't gonna hear all of the time that we've been talking to each other, of course, because of the edits. But Ben and I have spent about 15 hours talking to each other about BL this spring, and now we go back to the great silence. <laughs> we are. Looking forward to our summer series. There are a few things that I think that are going to be interesting for us to talk about. Some things that I hope keep up their great starts. Some things that we're looking forward to. Some things that we are going to check out with some reservations but hopes at the same time. So look out for us in the summer. We'll be back in July with more of the conversation. Till then, I'm Nini. I'm Ben. And we out. Say bye to the people, Ben. Peace!